Welcome back to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, and Aaron Hawksworth here with you. We will go over possible red zone positive regression candidates in just a bit. But uh, some other NFL news, Aaron, to get to. Uh, Adam Schefter uh, posted a couple of uh, new contracts. Uh, even though a lot of running backs are uh, hoping for some big mega deals, uh, right now this is the era of the defensive end. Uh, we've got Yannick Ngakwe uh, signing a one-year $10.5 million deal with Chicago Bears. That includes $10 million in guaranteed money. And then the Saints uh, keep Cameron Jordan, the Saints all-time leading franchise sack leader, gets a two-year, $27.5 million guaranteed contract extension that will tie him to New Orleans through the 2025 season. Either move uh, really move the needle for you as far as uh, how to bet on the Saints or the Bears, Aaron. I mean, Jordan provides that veteran leadership. He's 34. I think this is like his 13th season. So that's a solid guy to have there, especially, you know, Sean Payton's no longer there. You need a guy who's going to be that leader in the locker room. And I think it's a smart move for the Saints. I think so, too, because defensively, New Orleans could be a relative unknown. I mean, the last few years, uh, you know, the defense was what you sort of, you know, had on, so to speak. Now, you know, Mm -hmm. losing a couple of guys, you go, okay, there are some big question marks there. I mean, look at last season, for instance. Offensively, the Saints were largely just fine. Uh, Even with Andy Dalton as the gunslinger, they were still able to be largely effective. It's just that defensively, uh, they were sort of anti-clutch. And so I'm with you that uh, someone who can kind of keep the guys engaged when they're really exhausted uh, late in the third and fourth quarters, that could matter a great deal here. And so definitely will be uh, exciting to see how that puts together. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, I mean, he's an eight-time pro bowler, had 40 solo tackles, eight and a half sacks last season. So he's still productive. Um, I think it's smart. Yeah, absolutely it is. And and sometimes the, the fans want something and you largely try to make it happen so that you can make sure to maintain <laughs> that home field advantage, so to speak. And definitely Cam Jordan is a fan favorite uh, down in the Crescent City. So uh, everyone's Yeah, he's happy. one of those he's guys happy. you've – you yeah. gotta love, right? His uh, his oh, yeah. podcast. He seems like a lovable guy. I could see him being a fan favorite down there for sure. An infectious personality, uh, to say the least, and definitely that defensive line uh, will be shored up uh, by making sure that you keep him around for a little bit. So Warren Sharp uh, came out with this list, basically uh, talking about teams that performed well outside of the opponent's 20-yard line. But once they got to the red zone, things started to sputter a little bit. And he is suggesting that there are several teams that should be able to improve when it comes to red zone offense. And this matters a great deal because to be effective, you need to be scoring touchdowns uh, out in the red zone instead of settling for field goals. So when we look at this list, it starts with the Baltimore Ravens, where Warren says – Uh, The Ravens were 27th in his uh, success rate metric inside the red zone, but 17th outside the red zone. And then he looked at the Falcons, the Packers, Jaguars, Browns, Seahawks, and 49ers. So of these seven offenses, which one sort of stands out to you where you go, okay, this is a group that could very well improve in the red zone, and this is why we need to be taking this offense a little bit more seriously? A few, actually. There's a couple of teams on there that I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to bet over on their win total based off of Mm -hmm. this. But I think we can all agree that everything we're hearing 
out of, you know, Todd Munkin's arrival, all the receivers the Ravens have added. Lamar's going to be throwing the ball. It just seems like a, a refreshing start to the season. And all you, if you Google it, everything you're hearing is about, like, these guys scoring in the red zone in training camp, red zone this, red zone that. They have nowhere to go <laughs> but up in that category. And I think that's a team that I'm going to be high on. Well, certainly there's very high expectations nationally in terms of this new look Ravens offense, but I'm looking forward to seeing what Baltimore looks like offensively, particularly in the red zone. I mean, it sounds like Lamar's looked really sharp. He's finding Odell. He's finding Zay Flowers. They've got Aguilar. Um, So it's going to be fun to watch that team. Yeah, it certainly will. Paul? Shocker for me. It's the Jags, obviously. But, like, it was like I watched this movie play out last year. Well, the Seahawks as well. Um, So a couple of my teams are on this list, actually. Same. uh, Right. So, I mean, just the amount of times, and, like, we talked about it last year, like the way the Jags offense was moving the ball, and then they get to the red zone, and they fumble out of the back of the end zone or throw a pick or something like that. Like, even there's countless examples that I could point to. Um, so the other one that's interesting to me as well is the Packers because we've talked about them Mm. being potentially live in the NFC North. Mm. Like can the red zone offense really be that much worse with Jordan love could be that much worse with, I mean, your bottom five, bottom six, I mean, bottom third of the league easily. I just don't know how much worse it can be. And again, now the, the argument against that would be outside the red zone. The Packers had the number 11 offense. So, like, is Jordan Love going to be able to move the ball like that? Eh, that's a little bit more dicey. But I, I guess so when you're looking, I do feel better about the Jags where they were seventh outside the red zone and then 21st inside the red zone. And then the Seahawks, 12th outside the red zone, 25th inside the red zone. And they've got the consistency there. So I guess the, not as high on the Packers when I think about it. Like, okay, they still have to move the ball the way they did last year if they're going to improve even if they're better in the red zone, it won't matter if they're not moving it outside of the 20s. Yeah, there are several thoughts I have when it comes to this list in general. First off, and you're alluding to it, if you're dealing with an offense with a new quarterback, what do these numbers matter in the first place? Like, this was how last season turned out, and if you're keeping everything consistent, okay, if you want to make the argument for positive regression, fine, But if you're overhauling a bunch of things, like having a completely different quarterback, I don't know how useful these numbers are because it's a different offense, a different field, you know, different decision-making, all of that stuff. So I look at the Packers and go, this is not actionable information as as far as they're concerned. When it comes to the Jaguars, and, and, you know, you followed this as much as I did last year, there was a big difference between the first half of the season and the second half of the season. I would be curious to see how the Jaguars performed inside the red zone when things were going so well for Trevor Lawrence and company. That's also a big indicator here because if a lot of this is just noise from the first half, well, that may have been figured out and it doesn't matter so much. And maybe that discrepancy doesn't exist. I suspect it doesn't because I mean, they were scoring a lot. You know, they were moving the ball really effectively. I don't recall the Jaguars settling for a lot of field goals late in the season when they were going on their run. So that's one that I would sort of take with a grain of salt. And the last thing, and it's more of an overarching thought more than anything else, just because you have, you know, outside the 20 offensive success rate and then the red zone is, you know, of a different ranking, 
and you were expecting this to kind of flip, flip and, you know, go the other direction. That's not necessarily true. It's possible that this is just noise more than anything else. And when something is noisy and you're trying to predict from one season to the next, one period to the next, it's possible that because it's so noisy that it's not predictive at all that you may not necessarily get positive regression. It may be the same, and maybe there's something to your offense that just naturally isn't effective in the red zone because fields condensed, and what you call there could be significantly different than what you call outside of the 20-yard line. And so this is still important information to have, but you need to be careful, and you need to make sure that you look at context within each team here. Well, then that brings me to the Falcons. Obviously, I, f- I feel like they're on the list in large part because of Bijan Robinson, right? Like, do, how do we, like, what, how much stock do we put into that? Like, are you going to look at Bijan Robinson props? The win total is minus 122 over eight and a half wins. It seems like a lot of people are high on the Falcons, but I think a lot of that is on Bijan Robinson's shoulders, right? Or I guess they have Tyler Algier as well. Right. It it seems to me like a lot of red zone offenses from different teams, like that's when the backup personnel will start to come in a little bit more. Like you use your, your third wide receiver, your third running back. You may have a goal line running back, someone like that. And sometimes because you're using different personnel in the red zone, that may lead to better or worse results. So are you going to stick with those plays for next year? Are you going to go to your stars, whatever it is? When it comes to Bijan, definitely I consider him to be a workhorse back. Like you don't draft someone that highly without expecting to use him a good bit. But are the Falcons creative enough to go to your secondary tertiary options inside the red zone? That's, that's a hard one for me to answer right now, but I do feel like that Robinson has to play a massive role for the whole thing to work out, not just on the field, but infrastructurally for the franchise. Yeah, because there have been, you know, running backs who do carry the load and are still used in the red zone as well. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with him there, Paul. And then when we're talking about specific players, like looking at some red zone receiving stats, like DK Metcalf, like 40% target share in the red zone, just six touchdowns last year though. And like, it's funny, like it makes sense, you know, cause a lot of some of these guys coming from these teams, Christian Kirk is on this list as far as like highest target percentage um, year to year. That's probably a little bit tougher, but Ed, is there a way to use that information? Uh, you just mentioned like the third wide receivers being on the field a little bit more, but um, with some of these bigger names, like DK is going to get his looks, but it just didn't cash that much last year. Or, uh, I mean, other just going down the list, AJ Brown, who had like, he had some big games, but he was feast or famine a little bit. Uh, Justin Jefferson, no surprise. He's on the list. Kelsey, but he's, he's actually getting the touchdowns to pay off the targets. Um, and I'm just trying to think like, what else, how else can we use this? Pro- Again, from season to season, that's probably a little tougher, tougher, but within season, Mm-hmm. using stats like target percentage in the red zone or red zone uh, carries or percentage of, you know, carries within the red zone. Right. Part of it, part of the reason why the exercise is a little dangerous is you're dealing with a much small, smaller uh, sample size, right? So 
you don't have as many plays in the red zone, therefore your target percentage, what does that exactly mean? Is that going to be consistent from one game to the next? For some folks, it is going to be because they, you know, they have a big body, they, you know, have a great, you know, arm span, whatever it is. So, you know, part of this is sort of parsing through and figuring out like, okay, what makes logical sense as to someone being a red zone target? One thing that I looked at whenever I've looked into it, whenever others have uh, researched this stuff is that individual red zone performances are a little bit stickier than say team red zone performances and to an extent expecting regression going from one direction to the other. So I looked uh, at next gen stats at say receptions over expected in the red zone last year this should be a little bit more consistent. And I'm looking at guys like Jahan Dotson and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd, Juju Smith-Schuster, Gerald Everett, Russell Gage. If you're looking at guys like that to be effective red zone guys, that's probably going to be more consistent than assuming that a team will have positive regression because things didn't go as well for them in the red zone. And I'm also looking at, say, like receiving yards over expected, like Marquise Goodwin, Romeo Dobbs, Richie James, Darnell Mooney. If you're looking at individual player performances, those are probably going to be more reliable as far as which bets to place as far as like any time touchdown, things like that. Yeah, I mean, before looking at, at the actual list of teams, just the idea of positive red zone regression, I was expecting to, there to be more changes because of the number of changes we saw at play caller throughout the league. And, oh, the first one's Baltimore. Makes sense. We go from Roman to Munkin. And then I'm looking at the rest of this list, no changes. A lot of it is because you have head coach slash play callers, in effect, with Arthur Smith, LaFleur, Doug Peterson, Stefanski, Shanahan, but I found that to be interesting that the, these teams that had issues in the specifically in the red zone, it's except for Baltimore, it's going to be the same play caller. However, what I do think is notable from this list, guys, is that there are quarterback questions. Like some, not as much. Mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence, Lamar, mm-hmm. but you know, just because there's there should be positive red zone regression for Ritter. You know, for Green Bay with now Jordan Love, it doesn't mean it's actually going to happen. So I'd be a little hesitant on banking on that with with, uh, situations like that, including Brock Purdy. I was going to say, that's the one team that surprised me that's on this list. They're always injury prone. There's so many questions at quarterback, like... That was the one team, and I'm like, yeah, I don't really care that the Niners are on this list. Did you guys feel the same way? Absolutely, 100%. There's so so many unknowns with that offense, not to mention when they brought on Christian McCaffrey, like that took on a different dynamic, a different dimension, and we're sort of grouping an entire season when there were massive changes, seismic changes midway through for them adding CMC, and I go, okay, what does this exactly mean? Because even though I don't like restricting the sample size, it does matter because you're dealing with a completely different group and completely different approaches. So, again, lots to take with a grain of salt here. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, we go off the board right here on the BetQL Network.